This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, channel 132. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio. Powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global CIO at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm a registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a supervisor at Wisdom Tree. Discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of any investment product, and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree affiliates. We're going to have a really interesting show for you today. You know we always get the professor's take on the Fed, and of course this week was a very big week uh, for the Fed and discussions there. Uh, we also have a po- political discussion, what's happening in Washington with Greg Valliere, one of our friends and return guests. Uh, but Professor, let's start off with you. A big start to the year. A lot going on. Markets are rotating. What's your, what's your current thoughts? Yeah, and and by the way, happy New Year! Uh, we were, you know, we were uh, not broadcasting for a couple weeks of Christmas and, and New Year, so it's great to be back. And boy, is there a lot to be uh, talking about. First of all, just uh, about a half hour ago, uh, the long bond, the ten-year bond, broke through its previous high that was reached all the way back last March and touched 180. Um, and, uh, uh, I will get to the reasons for that. There's a couple reasons for that. Two of them. Uh, the first one is, uh, the employment report this morning. And as soon as I saw it, I said, oh, this is a hot report. Now, of course, when you look at the uh, non-farm payroll, you said, oh, just a minute, 199, way below the 450 estimate. Um, but there's, there's a couple of things that make it hot. First of all, Revisions to the previous two months were 141, so you're, you're already bringing it up to the uh, mid, you know, mid three uh, fifty range. Um, but more importantly, what caught my eye: um, the unemployment rate sinking to 3.9 percent. Now, one has to remember: last month, two months ago, it was 4.6. It was expected to go to 4.5. It went to 4.2. A lot of people said, oh, that's going to reverse itself, you know, uh, you know, statistical error. So uh, not they, they thought it was going to maybe go down to 4-1 this time, went down to 3-9. Uh, we are using up all surplus labor, all of it, no one. Take a look at the Fed projections. It's way lower than anyone's projection. No one projected 3-9 in uh, December. Then take a look at hourly earnings. Uh, um, uh, not year over year, up 4.7. It was expected 4.2. Um, also, last month was revised upward. The participation rate did not really budge. The people are not coming back, which is something we've been saying all along. The labor market is extraordinary tight. Now, it took a little bit of time for the bond market to see how hot this report is. And I mean hot in the sense that there's, you know, uh, it, it, there is just no surplus labor. You can't get much closer to full employment. I mean, we had 3.5 percent, which was the lowest in a half a century, uh, you know, 
under Trump before the pandemic hit. Few thought we could get this low. We're down to three nine right now. Actually, few thought we could get it below four percent. All this is confirming the tightness of the labor market. The raise, the, the wage increases are so far above uh, expectations. Um, then, all right, on top of that, we get the minutes um, earlier this week from the previous Fed minute, uh, meeting. Now, normally that isn't a big mover, but this was a big mover. Now, let me explain why this was a big mover. This was a big mover because all of a sudden there's talk of not just tapering, but reducing the balance sheet. Now, Reducing the balance sheet was not discussed either in the statement that came out from the FOMC meeting um, uh, three weeks ago on December 15th or was discussed at all in Powell's 45-minute news conference that followed that meeting. Uh, And what this did was uh, scare a number of folks because they remember that it was reducing the balance sheet uh, two and a half years ago that caused um, a sharp increase in interest rates and for uh, Powell Powell to do a uh, 180 turn and uh, supply reserves back into the market because all of a sudden uh, there was too little reserves. Now, let, let let me say the following. The situation is very different this time. We have $4 trillion more of reserves now as a result of the pandemic expansion than we did back when uh, the, uh, for the previous attempt to reduce it. So really, there's a, uh, there, there are, a, you know, reducing it is not going to cause that squeeze. But the psychological effect of reducing it and the memories of what happened three years ago uh, spooked the market. Now we get this hot employment report spooking the market. We get no alleviation on inflation. Yes, I know that the manufacturing price component, people misinterpret, oh, it went down from 85 to 69. This is not a price index going down. This is a percent of, of um, manufacturers that see prices rising instead of saying the same or going down. Um, what we're now saying is that uh, a month ago, 80% see them rising, now 69% see them rising. It in no means makes it that they're falling. And on top of that, um, I'm sure many of you have been following um, what's going on in the oil market. This morning, uh, the WTI touched 80 it's now down to 79.24 as I'm looking at my screen. But um, one has to note that uh, it is only about $5 short of its post-pandemic high. Now, gasoline prices lag uh, the uh, oil by approximately two to four weeks. All that decline in gasoline prices that we got from late last year to a week ago, most of that is going to be reversed. We know that that has political impact. Um, 
Uh, there's not much Biden can do about it or he released some of the reserves that did very little. The, the, the Omicron crisis really set it down. Uh, OPEC is not pumping to uh, levels that it has uh, uh, said it would. And the demand for oil is extraordinarily high, despite the Omicron. The experts say the WTI is going to 80. Um, I'm going to 100. Some say higher. I'm not saying that that will happen. I'm not an expert in the oil market. I'm just saying that we're not getting any price declines. We're getting price increases. The bond market sees it. The bond market knows that the Fed is going to have to tighten. And as I say, I think has to tighten much more and what the market actually expects. A lot of great information there, Professor. Um, so in, in terms of your outlook for the Fed, you, we've been talking about the, the, the taper timelines and now the first hike, the probabilities have been coming towards March. You have our, our favorite uh, Fed president, uh, Mr. Bullard, out there saying March is now on the table. Um, What's your thoughts on, on March? Is that oh, yeah. going to be uh, liftoff? March. I mean, next week we're going to get, next Tuesday we're going to get a CPI. The CPI is going to remain hot. They're going to be pressured. And they're going to go on March. The question is how much faster do they have to go uh, this year? I mean, again, you know, I, last, late last year I, I threw out that uh, they're going to have to go to 2%, which is eight quarter point hikes. Um, we've talked about that on the show. Um to slow the inflation rate. Uh, we'll see what actually does happen. But, uh, you know, the scenarios are not, they're not working out. I mean, the Fed, this is one of the hugest miss. I mean, the, let's put it this way. In their December uh, projections, they said that PCE inflation this year was going to be 2.6%. Well, 2.6% is two-tenths of a percent a month. When you compound it, it's two six. You tell me what the data looks like. We're going to get only two tenths of a percent per month. You can get more like five to six tenths of a percent per month. They're way off on that. Um, they're going to continually to be pressured to move on this. The Omicron wave, we'll see it, you know, it is extreme, but, uh, you know, the experts say it'll pass in two and three weeks and then it just opens the floodgates. Uh, the, uh, the problem is, of course, that China is trying to keep all Omicron out. So they may be restricting some of their production. Why over here, everyone's had it or been vaccinated and they don't care. And they're going to go on and demand the goods that are not going to be there. That's just even more inflationary. But that's another issue. Well, I know you were excited to bring in Greg to our show today, so I want to bring Greg in. It's been a big Fed week, Greg, so thanks for your, your patience. Um, but we're going to be talking with Greg Valliere, who's very focused on what's happening in Washington. He's chief U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. And, Professor, I know you had a special request to get Greg on, so I'll let you uh, kick off the yes. conversation, see where you want to yes, go Greg. with Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. You know, Greg has just great, uh, what he calls morning bullets. Um, uh, sends them out around 5 a.m. I respond back to Greg all the time. <laughs> I hope I'm not doing it too much. 
Uh, he gets back to me. Uh, I, I vent my ideas. I, I think he is one of the shrewdest people in Washington in terms of digging down and 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 getting what 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 is going on, what is going what is going to pass, um, and what isn't going to pass to the state of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We don't have a lot of time. I want to. I want to focus in on a, a, a couple of things. Um, today's bullets, um, I think, are really quite interesting. Uh, you, we, we all know that the Build Back Better was derailed last year. Manchin was, you know, said he couldn't vote for it. Um, but both you and I, Greg, thought that it could be broke up in pieces, and, um, and actually those pieces can be passed uh, this year. Um, and some of the pieces that you talk about um, uh, that can be passed is uh, uh, more funding for, as you say, universal pre-kindergarten, uh, expansion of some Obamacare benefits, uh, some environmental proposals, and you put down as long as, as they don't uh, impact West Virginia. Um, he's very skeptical of big tax breaks for people who purchase electric cars. Uh, of course, uh, we all know that electric cars uh, rebate was only available for union member meth and, and mm-hmm. excluded Tesla, which uh, caused uh, Musk to go uh, completely against them. Now, this was interesting, but Manchin generally accepts higher taxes for very wealthy and large profitable firms. Um, let me ask you this question. Um, uh, you don't mention Kristen Cinema. Yeah. No, so, I don't. And what? For, yeah. So uh, we we need to, we need more than maybe just one to go along. What's your take on her with these items that you point out? Well, first of all, I have to tip my hat to you. You were calling for an inflationary surge before just about anybody. So way to go. Great call. Thank you. They always remind us when we're wrong, but we have to remind people when we're right, and that was a great, great call by you. Let me just say with Kirsten Cinema, by Thanksgiving it was clear that she would go along with most everything in the bill. It was, once again, Joe Manchin who had problems with some of the environmental stuff, uh, with the... Uh, very controversial uh, accounting they used to uh, show how they would pay for this. I think she would go along. I, I, she does not want to see any big tax hike on individuals or corporations. I think they can accommodate her. Uh, I think this this is a bill that could start to move by late winter, early spring. You know, whether we need more fiscal stimulus, well, we're not going to get any monetary stimulus, that's for damn sure. I'm not sure we're going to need a lot more fiscal stimulus, but I do think that Joe Manchin is hearing from too many Democrats who are saying to him, if you don't move on this bill and we lose the House and Senate, we're going to blame you. <laughs> and I think Manchin yeah. does not want that on his back. Right. Well, of course, you know, you and I have been saying this, uh, Greg. This, these negotiations should have taken place last year. They could have taken place last summer. You know, Biden could have, could have sat down, and all of them could have sat down, and, and said, Manchin could say, "This is what I could accept, and this is what, and and, and this is, is is crazy." They, uh, the fact that nothing passed, they suffered the defeat last November. Isn't 
isn't I mean, is it is it too little, too late? No, I don't think so. I I I personally believe that Manchin uh, was sincerely uh, upset over the accounting, the way they they said they would pay for things. Instead of saying, we're going to pay for 10 years, they, they would pay for one year and then assume we'd just keep extending it. That, that, was, that was not a uh, r- real uh, reputable uh, you're way. You're absolutely of, right. Well, Manchin yeah. objected to that as well as cinema. Yes, he did. But, but Manchin, being a West Virginia populist, has no problem with raising taxes on the very wealthy. He has no problem with raising taxes on very profitable firms. I think people in West Virginia would like to see that, and I think he'll get it. The other area where he's made a big impact is on uh, energy and the environment. Um, he will not agree to some big, enormous subsidy for electric vehicles that would go to wealthy union uh, members. Uh, that's a controversial plan in Canada, uh, which feels we're subsidizing our electric vehicles. So I think he would go uh, against some of the energy proposals, methane, things like that. So there was not enough in the bill uh, for him to like. And let me just make this final point. I mean, half the people in Washington think late at night, you know, could I ever have a chance of being president? Uh, I think that Manchin knows that there is virtually wide open space uh, among Democratic moderates. There, there, there aren't many. He is one. Uh, at some point, could he become a player in a crowded field of 10 progressives and one moderate? You can't rule it out. Yeah, and 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 in fact, some if if Trump is on the other side in twenty twenty four, there's a lot of non-Trump Republicans that would definitely go for Mansion. They they would. It's it's still you know it, this would have to assume several premises. The main one of which would be that uh, Joe Biden doesn't seek a second term, and I've been uh, pretty outspoken uh, in print saying I don't think Biden will seek a second term. Uh, if he won a second term, he would be 86 years old at the end of that second term. That's just too old. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, and his performance. I mean, it's almost like if you want it, you can always have it. But his his performance has been very disappointing. I mean, I mean, yeah. you could see the polls. Um, he, first of all, not negotiating with Biden early on the Afghanistan withdrawal. Yep. Now the COVID promising COVID tests and no COVID tests are available. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously he's not to blame for the Omicron crisis, but he did promise tests. That would be available and not available, and that's why now his his polls are plummeting on 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 COVID. Just when you thought he couldn't be in worse trouble politically with inflation, Afghanistan, urban crime, immigration, he gets a a really horrible stretch of bad messaging uh, from the Centers for Disease Control on COVID. And frankly, I'm confused. I can't figure out what their their plan is. Most yeah. people are confused. And I think Biden has to take some of the blame. Uh, yeah. You, it's CDC, which I uh, has not been good from day one. Remember, their yep. tests had to be recalled way back in March of two, uh, 2020, well, when, when the pandemic first hit, because they were faulty. We mm-hmm. were way behind... Uh, others because of, 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 of that. So from, from the get-go, CDC uh, has been. But even if you, you know, step above, above, 
back a little bit. He said, we're going to have enough tests for people, and uh, we, we, we don't. Everyone uh, I know has scrambled for these tests. Now we're saying, well, does it really matter? I mean, everyone seems to be getting it. Thank God this is mostly mild for most people. Um, I, I heard one doctor say, well, it's three times more transmissible, and only one-third is uh, mm-hmm. deadly. So, so actually, there is, the, the number of deaths is still staying up around 1,000 a day because yep. uh, of, that, uh, of that factor. And if you've got no health concerns, you're just going to get a bad flu. But still, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is here. Listen, what, I, I want to, you know, we, we, I, I would love the whole hour with you, but I want to bring one thing up. And you have mentioned this in one of your early bullets. Um, I think that one thing that can partially save the Democrats, um, and particularly in the Senate, is the Supreme Court abortion ruling scheduled Mm -hmm. for next June. Yep. I want your opinion on that. I'd say right now... Joe Biden needs a victory, first of all. That's why I think he and Manchin will resume talks in the next few weeks. He's got to get some kind of a victory. Secondly, he wants to portray the Republicans as too far to the right, and he could succeed. You look at the far right in the House, uh, and I think a lot of moderate voters around the country get concerned by this. But in terms of a specific issue that could drive voter turnout, I think it's abortion. And if, yeah. uh, if the Supreme Court rules, as all the experts say, that states have a right to at least curb abortion, if not ban it, I think there will be a real backlash among moderates, female voters. That's the sleeper issue when we look at the fall election. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it could be a huge issue. Now, it, um, in, in fact, I think that Dems will latch onto that issue. Um, uh now, I don't think, I want your assessment, if this it does turn out as the experts do, and the betting markets, too, by the way, um, are pretty overwhelming in saying that, uh, you know, uh, RV weight is going to be modified drastically or, or taken off. Um, if that comes to pass, I don't think it's enough for the dams to hold the house. Yep, I agree. Um, um, but... I think it might be enough for the Dems to hold the Senate. Now, what is your opinion on that? Well, there are many reasons why the House, I think, will flip to the Republicans. History is a big factor. Uh, redistricting is a big factor. A lot of resignations among Democrats. So I, I, when I talk to people on the Hill, they say the House will flip. The issue is not whether. The issue is by how many seats. The Senate, though, as you correctly point out, is a tougher call. I think that it's possible the Democrats could hold the Senate by a seat or in a tie. But even there, the Republicans, I think, have a chance, certainly in the high 40s, maybe close to 50 percent, they have a chance of taking the Senate as well. So what that means is after the election in this coming November, Joe Biden's second two years will be years in which he's not going to get much done because the House will block him. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, going going back, don't forget, it is the senators more important. If, yep. if abortion catches as an issue, uh, they're going to say, you know, because it is the senators that confirm the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. They're going to say uh, this is this is where we can 
fight back. Uh, do you believe that we're going to get a, a Breyer a retirement um, this year? There's been a lot of speculation, but lately he's pushed back against that. I don't think he wants to be pushed. There are other members who uh, could step down, including Clarence Thomas. I'd be real surprised if we were talking exactly a year from today without at least one departure from the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, I hope we are going to be talking a year from now. I'd love to start out the year with you. I want to go back a little bit on, on uh, I know we don't have much time, uh, Jeremy, but um, uh, just a little bit on the taxes, um, what what we could get on the taxes. Cinema doesn't want any rise in personal taxes. It doesn't want to take away any part of the Trump tax cut. Right. Uh, the, for corporations, she doesn't want to raise the 21% rate. I think Manchin was willing to go to 25. But there's there's more taxes than just that. There's foreign income taxes mm-hmm. and others. Do you think Cinema is willing to do that on those foreign uh, entities? The, the chances for any big taxes have dropped dramatically. I, I don't see in, in, for the super wealthy maybe the rates go up by a point. For very wealthy corporations, maybe it goes up a little. But I think a lot of things that many of our listeners probably are concerned about, like the step-up basis or capital gains or the estate tax, I don't see the support in Congress for anything like that. So I think the hit from higher taxes will be pretty modest, if if any hit at all. Yeah. I mean, there is, you know, that the corporate tax does affect you know, valuations, the stock market, those S&P mm-hmm. projections, um, raising it to 25. The Biden proposal would have lowered about 10% off of S&P earnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you keep the rates the same but do the foreign alone, it's about 5% from what I remember. I mean, we, you know, one would basically have to do that. Uh, let me just ask you on the estate tax. Uh, you know, uh, Trump uh, increased the exemption dramatically. Um do you know what Mansion and Cinema are to bring it back to uh, pre-Trump levels, uh, uh, um, or are they perfectly happy with that big expansion? I, I think there will be other Democrats who would have a problem with a big change in the estate tax. Democrats like uh, Tester out in, I think it's Wyoming. Uh, there are farm state Democrats who, of course, worry about the values of farms for their constituents. So my my sense is that there's not going to be a lot on taxes. Okay, that's great. Um, dude, we covered a lot of uh, uh, a lot of issues. Uh, there's two other things that I'll quickly throw out. One is, yeah. let's not overlook the regulatory climate. It's a very hostile toward business, the financial sector. Uh, we'll see Elizabeth Warren uh, beating up on Jerome Powell next week when Powell's confirmation hearings begin. If you look at the Biden nominations for the regulatory uh, agencies, these are very aggressive people who want to crack down, whether it's antitrust or environmental regs. I think that's that's an overlooked story. It's not the sexiest story in the world, but regulatory policy is going to get far more adversarial between Washington and business. Second point I'd make is that we can never overlook geopolitics, and I would say there are two at least two stories to be concerned about. I, I don't think Putin is reckless enough to go into eastern Ukraine because he would face a, uh, a rebellion. He would face a guerrilla war from Ukrainians who would try to resist. 
uh, I, I think that, that we can maybe diffuse this crisis or lower that a bit. The bigger thing that worries me is China. I think U.S.-China relations will stay very, very rocky, especially after the Olympics end uh, outside of Beijing in six or seven weeks. Uh, I think U.S.-China trade relations will stay rocky. Uh, the military threat toward Taiwan will not diminish. China has all these new sophisticated weapons, these hypersonic missiles that they've been testing. So I think U.S.-China relations will stay pretty Rocky. And then just one last final point. I do not see a new nuclear deal with Iran. They're nowhere close. I think the Iranians will try to become provocative in the Persian Gulf, maybe lobbing missiles or having their surrogates lob missiles at Israeli ships or oil ships. So we can't overlook geopolitics. And because of that, I think the defense sector might be a little undervalued right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, these are these are good points. Uh, now you said, and I agree with you, that Putin won't want to take over uh, Ukraine. He just wants to make sure the Ukraine government treats the Russians well. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a probability of a of a real move from China against Taiwan? Well, rhetorically, we're almost there, and I, I think that it, it's it is a threat. I think it would be met aggressively by the U.S. Uh, with conventional weapons. But I, I, I think the threat of a protracted uh, conflict, both in uh, Ukraine and in Taiwan, will make Russia and China think twice. And, and then there's also uh, uh, China putting pressure on allies or people mm-hmm. who lent money to throughout Africa and the third world of uh, not dealing with Taiwan Company. Yep. Uh, you, we know that Taiwan Semiconductor is one of the largest uh, companies in the world, and we need them. There was um, a great column in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago by Tom Friedman, and what Tom wrote about was that the Chinese aren't trusted by most other countries in the world, uh, whether it's on semiconductors or trade deals. Uh, the Chinese have not established a level of trust. I think that's a big problem for Z. Hmm. Yeah, going forward. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm just thinking of um, uh, you know, one more issue. Is let, let me, can I mind that, one other the, point? The, the first issue I, that we you, you talked about is one of the issues, um, it, uh, extra it, issues. If I could throw out just one other point, I think in the next few months we're going to see a couple of Republicans make it clear they're going to run against Trump for the nomination. Three Republicans to watch. Chris Christie, New Jersey, a very popular articulate governor of uh, Maryland, Larry Hogan, and Liz Cheney. I think all three are going to be paying several visits to New Hampshire over the next few months to, to see if they have enough support to actually challenge Trump. They may not take him out, but they could soften him up in a general election. Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, I think Chris Christie, you know, being I'm looking at New Jersey, you know, I live in Philly, but I'm looking across the river. Uh, Bridgegate still is yep. around his neck. Yep. Liz Cheney, um, you know, I, I, but but I I agree with you. I think someone should make a foray. We didn't. What about what about DeSantis? Yeah, De, De, DeSantis I think won't move uh, if Trump decides to run. I think DeSantis, who's still pretty young, I th- I'm thinking he's early 40s, so DeSantis has some time. But I, I I think the guy to watch 
in the Republican Party who is well respected is Larry Hogan. He's a yeah. he's a Republican who won the governorship in a, in a Democratic state, Maryland, by thirty points in the last election. He's a first-rate politician. Do you think Youngkin has a chance, Professor? Not soon, not soon enough. He still hasn't been sworn in. I think that comes in the next week or so. Uh, Yunkin down the road, yeah, he's probably late 40s. He's, he's got plenty of time. He'll be a yeah. player. And, and intriguingly, Yunkin never criticized Trump or praised Trump. He ignored Trump, and it infuriated Trump, but it was one of the reasons Yunkin won. You know, I know the professor really enjoys talking to Greg. Uh, you heard... Uh... Uh, the, the big admiration. It's been a real pleasure to have Greg with us. He's been chief U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments, uh, and I think we're going to, you know, continue to come, Greg, on all these political issues throughout the year. Uh, the professor has been spot on on inflation. You're going to keep hearing from him throughout the next few weeks on what's happening with the Fed, interest rates, the market rotation. I'd like to thank our producer, uh, Patty Hall. Our sound engineer is Chris Tukes, Dion Simpkins. You've been listening to Behind the Markets on SiriusXM. 132. You can follow us on our Behind the Markets podcast. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.